All right, everybody, I'm coming at you with the UFC on ABC preview predictions and breakdown. UFC Fight Night, Rosenstruck versus Almeida, a pivotal matchup in the UFC's heavyweight division between a streaking contender and a somewhat newcomer in the UFC's heavyweight division, moving up from light heavyweight in the number 12-ranked Jailton Almeida, taking on the number 9-ranked one-hitter-quitter knockout puncher in Jairzinho Biggie Boy. Rosenstrike, while Almeida comes in with a record of 18-2, and two, and Rosenstrike comes back with a record of 13 victories with only four defeats. So let's get into it. I mean, it's not an, the normal intro because I'm recording this a little bit later, but this is a pretty decent card. I think you look up and down on it. I mean, the main card is pretty good. Almeida-Rosenstrike is a good main event. It's a very intriguing matchup. The co-main event between Anthony Smith and Johnny Walker is the uh, the fight not to bet on for the week, in my opinion. I think I see a lot of people playing both sides, whether it's Walker or Smith inside the distance. I see a lot of people playing either side here. And I think that this is a fight that you avoid like the plague because your betting tickets could come up in a clash of flames or just go up in a blaze and completely ruin any betting that you might want to have. Daniel D. Rod Rodriguez versus Ian Machado Gary. Amazing fight for the featured bout of the evening on the main card. Carlos Ulberg versus Ihor Poteria in the light heavyweight division moved up to the main card. Tim Means and Alex Morono. This main card is very, very solid. And then on the prelims, I would say my favorite matchup would have to be Pete Rodriguez versus Natan Levy. So we have Pete Rodriguez and Daniel D-Rod Rodriguez. P-Rod and D-Rod on the same card. Um, it's going to be a pretty interesting night, and it's going to be a good card to break down. So I was going to wait until tomorrow to get this out, but I feel like I did watched all the tape today. I think I got a pretty good read on every fight on the card that we're going to break down. So we're going to break down the prelim between Natan Levy and Pete Rodriguez. And then on the main card, we're going to break down Olberg versus Poteria, Rod, D-Rod versus Ian Machado, Gary, Anthony Smith versus Johnny Walker, and then Rosenstrike versus Almeida. So... Um, I'll have an episode up later in the week. I'm going to try to go back to two podcasts a week if I can find a way to do it. But with the YouTube content, the wrestling content paired with the MMA content that I've been making lately, I don't really think that's going to be feasible, but I'm going to try because I feel like one episode a week, it, it's good. But I want to get the numbers up on the audio podcast side because those have really been going down. Our numbers on YouTube have been going up, especially in the MMA content related areas but the podcast numbers have been drastically, drastically decreasing. So if you are a member of the Touch Em Up podcast fan base and you get this podcast out to anybody on your social media, then thank you. If you don't share this podcast with people on your social media, then what are you doing? You're listening to this podcast and you're not sharing it? Come on, what have you been doing, man? We've been in this game since 2019. We've been in the MMA game since like 2009. Come on, man, get it together. We called that Yan Zhao Nan TKO victory over Jessica Andraja. I heard Yan Zhao Nan by knockout was plus 1,000, plus 1,100. I heard a lot of people picking Zhao Nan. I didn't see a whole lot of people picking her by TKO. We had uh, Kennedy and Chukwu by uh, TKO. He got a submission, but Kennedy and Chukwu inside the distance. That was a good pick. We had um, the co-main event. What was the co-main event? Uh, why am I drawing a blank here? Oh, we had Bilal Muhammad over Gilbert Burns by decision. Another good pick. Uh, ooh, what else? What else? Let's go back. Let's go back and check out some of the picks we had for 288. I did have Cejudo in the main event. He lost via split decision. I think he did enough to get the job done. 
but I thought that fight was going to end inside the distance. It didn't, so it is what it is. The under four and a half play that I had on the fight, I thought was going to be a steal because I expected either Sterling to get the sub or Cejudo to eventually TKO him the longer the fight went. But again, that's not what happened. So that under four and a half play we had on the bets for the week just kind of screwed everything up for us. Um, and I didn't want to play Bilal Muhammad because I told myself I would stay away from the co-main event. Um, yeah, so we had Jaunan by TKO, Bur uh, Bilal by decision. We had Henry Cejudo against Sterling. He lost via split decision. Uh, Mobsar Vloya versus Diego Lopez. I had a play on Lopez by submission, man. And I didn't put him in a ton of stuff because my overall pick was going to be, you know, Mobsar Vloyev. But... Man, did he get close. He had that knee bar at the end of the third round. He almost had the arm bar in the first round. He rocked Evloyev in the first round. Like, Diego Lopez is a monster, bro. He's a monster. I had a play on Crone Gracie by sub. That obviously didn't come to fruition with the butt scoot king or the butt scoot queen in Crone Gracie. So, you know, it is what it is. But Charles Air Jordan gets the win there. Probably the better pick and the smarter pick was Jordan. But I ended up going with Gracie there. I had the under two and a half for Dober and for Vola, which I'm pretty happy about. You know, I was glad that I played the under and didn't pick the Dober side. I liked the Dober play. I liked Dober by KO, but I said that the smartest play was the under two and a half rounds, was pretty, which was pretty much the same play as if you play Dober on the money line. So even though we got the Dober pick wrong, the steamroll of Matt Favola comes through as an underdog again with that first round knockout, catching Drew Dober moving backwards with that big overhand or big hook dropping him and putting him out. We had Nchukwu over Devin Clark. Um, we had Chaos Williams over Bedoya. I thought he would get it by TKO. That was the play that kind of killed a lot of my big long shot parlays because I played Chaos Williams, but I played him inside the distance because he was like a minus 400 favorite. Um, I don't honestly think he won that fight. I think Bedoya won that fight. Um, it was a split decision, but I know a lot of people weren't too happy about it. They were happy if they were on the Williams side because he was such a big favorite, but Again, you know, it is what it is. Uh, I had Marina Rodriguez over Verna Jandriboa. I know a lot of people were on the Jandriboa side, but I didn't I didn't play that fight in terms of a betting perspective. I think I put Marina Rodriguez. Uh, I think I actually played the under two and a half because I thought there was going to be a finish, but I only put it in like one parlay. We had Braxton Smith over Parker Porter. Um, terrible pick. Absolutely terrible pick. So you can, you know, roast me for that one. We did have Ikram Alaskarov over Phil Hawes by TKO. And then we had Claudio Ribeiro over Joseph Holmes by knockout. So overall, the bets were good, but I put that under four and a half in the main event in almost every play that I had, and it killed huge parlays. Parlays that had Yan Jaunan by knockout at plus 1,000. You know, parlays that had Bilal Muhammad in it. There was, it just really messed me up. So, you know, it is what it is, and we move on. But let's get back to what we came here to do with the UFC on ABC Rosenstrike versus Almeida predictions. Excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. All right, so we're going to kick it off on the prelims with that battle in the, what is it, welterweight division? Uh, lightweight division, okay. Battle in the lightweight division, a fight that was supposed to take place about two, three weeks ago between Natan Levy and Pete Rodriguez. Eight and one for Natan Levy. Uh, I believe he has one loss in the UFC going up against Pete Rodriguez coming off that first round knockout with that vicious knee against Mike the Truth Jackson, the man who defeated CM Punk at UFC 225 in his hometown of Chicago, Illinois, and then got that crazy disqualification victory over a guy who we haven't really heard much of in Dean Barry. He was very, very highly touted prospect coming out of Ireland, 
and uh, lost that fight via DQ uh, due to, I think it was a knee to a grounded opponent, or no, it was a bunch of groin strikes. It was a groin strike, a few groin strikes, and then Jackson couldn't continue, so a TKO, uh, or a DQ, I'm sorry, a DQ win for Mike Jackson, but Pete Rodriguez came in, put it on Mike Jackson, was just piecing him up, and, you know, going up against Jack Della Maddalena, he lost via first-round TKO, but he was catching Maddalena with some decent shots. I mean, he was getting pieced up, don't get me wrong. The jab, the one-twos, and the body shots of Jack Della Maddalena were really putting it on Pete Rodriguez. But Rodriguez had some good counters. He had good check hooks, and I think the check hook against Natan Levy is going to be a big problem. I look at this fight with Natan Levy and Pete Rodriguez. The better fighter overall is Natan Levy. He's got really solid kicking technique. Inside and outside low kicks, hook kicks like he dropped Gennaro Valdez with. I think I got that name wrong. You can correct me if I'm wrong. Or I think I got that name right. You can correct me if I'm wrong. But he has good hook kicks, good body kicks, really good left kick to the body, inside and outside low kicks, lead leg hook kicks, lead leg roundhouse kicks, and his grappling game. He'll shoot a takedown sometimes. He'll shoot a double, work to your body, uh, drag the one leg out, trip out the backside leg. He'll shoot a takedown grab the opposite ankle, go for an ankle pick, go back up to the body lock, get the takedown. He's going to have the grappling advantage. He's going to have the wrestling advantage. He's going to have the striking and a distance advantage. The only thing I'm worried about is that he does get clipped. His defense is kind of the whole, you know, keep the hands out, frame, you know, measure with the lead hand, keep the chin back, put the high guard up on the opposite side and circle away. He's very big at pulling back and circling with the high guard on the rear side. And sometimes he can get caught with some big shots, but he is a pretty good defensive fighter. If you look at his overall striking defense, he has a 58% striking defense, so almost 60%. Uh, Pete Rodriguez comes back with a 44% striking defense rate with 11.69 uh, strikes absorbed per minute. But a lot of those strikes were in the fight against Jack Della Maddalena because it was basically a stand-up war, a boxing match, for as long as it lasted. So... Pete Rodriguez's defense is 44%, but they're heavily skewed by that loss to Jack Della Maddalena, who, in my opinion, is the best boxer in that welterweight division. Uh, significant strike accuracy on both sides, 51% for Natan Levy to 46% for Pete Rodriguez. Uh, Natan Levy's going to be the better fighter. He's going to be the more technical fighter, the much better kicker, the better striker at range. It's really just going to be a case of can Pete Rodriguez get it into boxing range. And if he can get it in boxing range, can he clip Natan Levy on the chin, hurt him, and put him away? Because that's really where the big question marks are in this fight. He's got good pressure. He's got very good check hooks. He has good boxing, good counters. The best weapons from Pete Rodriguez are his hands. His boxing is pretty sharp. He's just not really looked at that well because I don't think a lot of people know who Pete Rodriguez is. And I think that knockout over Mike Jackson was nasty, you know, working the body with hooks. Um, to hooks to the body, hook up top to the head, and then switching stances and landing that vicious knee as Jackson was up against the cage, folding him like an accordion. But looking at this fight, we'll look at Natan Levy real quick. Pull it up for you as long as this will load for me. Natan Levy, 8-1 in professional MMA, 5-1 on the side of Pete Rodriguez. Natan Levy has more experience. Lethal Natan or Lethal Natan Levy, uh, eight wins. He's got five by decision, three by submission. His one loss came via decision to Hafa Garcia. That was in his UFC debut, coming off that win on the Contender Series. Then since then, he's been on a three fight or a two fight win streak. I'm sorry, with unanimous decision victories over Mike Breeden and Gennaro Valdez. Valdez hurt him. Valdez wobbled him at certain points. Uh, Valdez got rocked with a hook kick from. 
Uh, Natan Levy got hit with some big body kicks, was getting pieced up, got dropped a bunch of times. Good boxing, good in and out movement, good striking from range. Like I said, Natan Levy's the much better fighter, but sometimes the better fighter doesn't always win. Originally, I was pretty heavily on the side of Natan Levy. Now I'm kind of going back and forth because Pete Rodriguez, I think he's kind of clowned on a little bit because of the way he lost to Della Madalena, but Madalena is the best boxer in the division. So at the same time, you have to look at the fact that you know, that was also up in a different weight class because now he's down at lightweight. When he fought Jack Della Maddalena, that was at 170. So think of it like that. Like now he's down a weight class. He's probably in much better shape. And we're going to see, have to see how the weigh-ins go because if he can't make the weight successfully and he comes in drained, then I think Levy will piece him up and probably work the body kicks to an eventual finish via those kicks to the body because the left back power kick or the rear power kick of Natan Levy paired with the lead high kicks, the lead hook kicks, and then pairing up the kicking game on the outside range and then being able to close the distance with the punches into the grappling game. He's the more well-rounded fighter is Natan Levy. Pete Rodriguez has the more knockout upside. He has the bigger power. He has better boxing, better inside game. So if it if the fight takes place at a close range or boxing range, I would give the advantage to Pete Rodriguez. If the fight takes place at a kicking range or just outside of kicking range, then I would say that Natan Levy probably cruises his way to either a late finish via body kick or um, a big kick to the head and dropping Pete Rodriguez and putting him out or getting a decision. So when it comes to a pick on this fight, though, I mean, I think it's kind of 50-50, to be honest. I think that, like I said, the better fighter... Natan Levy, the bigger power puncher with the better boxing is Pete Rodriguez. So Natan Levy has had some chin issues, even though he's never been knocked out. We've seen him get rocked before. Rodriguez is going to get in his face. He's going to be looking to chop the low kicks to slow down the movement of Levy, cutting him off on the cage and then circling him into the big power and working the body shots. Um, when it comes to a pick, though, I'm going to go with Pete Rodriguez. I'm going to go with the underdog in Pete Rodriguez. I, I Even though I think that Levy's the better fighter, I think eventually Pete's going to slow him down. He's going to push him up against the cage and land a big shot on the cage and hurt Levy and put him out. Uh, I know he's never been finished. I know his only loss comes via decision, but I think eventually Rodriguez is just going to slow him down and land a big punch and knock him out. So when you look at the betting side of this fight, Rodriguez is a very is a pretty sizable underdog. He's coming in plus 225 to minus 265 on a Tom Levy. Um, I understand that line completely. Um, I just worry about the durability of Natan Levy in this fight because of the boxing showcase, even in the loss to Jack Della Maddalena. He was kind of going back and forth. You know, even though he was getting pieced up, even though he was getting beat, the jab, the check hook, the one-two, the body shots of Pete Rodriguez and being able to close the distance. Natan Levy's never been comfortable when you push him back, when you pressure him, when you close that distance. So if the fight takes place at kicking range, or just outside of boxing range, I think Natan Levy cruises to a late finish or a decision. But I'm going to bank on the fact that Pete Rodriguez is going to close that distance, get on the inside against Levy, push him up against the cage, and eventually crack him on the chin, drop him, and get him out of there. So give me the underdog, the plus 225, Pete Rodriguez, to defeat lethal Natan Levy via a second-round knockout. He's going to get him up against the cage, land a big shot up top to the head, probably a check right hook, drop him, and get him out of there. So Pete Rodriguez as the big underdog, plus 225 via second-round knockout. All right, and up next, we move to the main card in a battle in the light heavyweight division, a fight that I'm actually very, very interested in between the city kickboxing standout in Carlos Blackjack Ulberg as he takes on Ihor Poteria. You got two knockout artists here, right? Everybody's going to be looking at this as, yeah, it's going to be a mainly striking battle. 
somebody's going to get put to sleep. I definitely think somebody's going to get put to sleep, but I wouldn't be surprised if Poteria tries to approach it from a more grappling-heavy aspect. I think he's going to try to push Olberg up against the cage, get in on his hips, try to get him in the clinch, work some takedowns, and try to grapple Olberg, get the lactic acid in his muscles, because Olberg, I mean, he's a model. He was a part-time model, a professional model before he got into MMA, and the guy's got unbelievable kickboxing ability. I mean, if you watch the fight with, with him versus Kennedy and Chukwu, he lost the fight, but he was beating the living shit out of Kennedy and Chukwu in that fight. Lead high kicks, rear high kicks, shots to the body, uppercuts, hooks. I mean, everything he was throwing was landing. However, Nchukwu was able to take the damage, push forward, pressure him, and eventually get him out of there. But that's something that Nchukwu had become known for long, the longer that his career has been going on. He'll get beat up, he'll get put on the back foot, he'll get take a lot of damage, but he won't slow down, he'll get back in your face, and he'll break you under the pressure, the forward pressure, you know, pushing you back, getting you on the back foot, and eventually taking you out after you blow your gas tank. With Carlos Ulberg versus Ihor Poteria, like I said, I think Poteria should look to use the grappling. He does have decent striking, though. He fights primarily as a southpaw. Ulberg is going to be the orthodox fighter, so it's going to be the outside foot positioning battle. Ulberg is going to try to get his lead left foot on the outside of the lead right foot of Poteria and eventually try to land the jab to the check left hook, which coincidentally is the same way that he finished a common opponent he has in Ihor Poteria in uh, Nikolai Negamedianu. He was able to knock out Nikolai Negamedianu in the first round at UFC 281, constantly using lateral movement, changing the directions between left and right, getting Nikolai Negamedianu to try to kind of, you know, not find, be able to find the range, not be able to download the rhythm. He was landing inside and outside low kicks, chopping up the lead leg of Nikolai Negamedianu, using the jab as it, whenever Negamedianu tried to close the distance, popping him with the jab, circling left and right in and out, circling left and right, moving laterally, eventually jabs. Nikolai Negamediano tries to come over the top and counter with a power shot. Carlos Ulberg parries that jab, or not parries, but channels the jab into a left hook. So jab, check left hook. He hurts him, wobbles him, hits him with a right hand, knocks him out cold in round one. I think we're going to see a similar thing here against Poteria. Poteria has good low kicks, inside and outside low kicks, a very good straight left hand, good check right hook, but his movement isn't really there. You know, even in the fight against Nikolai Negamedianu, he was doing okay, but he got tired, he got worn out, and I think both of these guys have cardio issues. I think the longer the fight goes, both guy, both of these guys are going to slow down, but I don't really take any stock in Poteria's last win over a completely out-of-prime, over-the-hill Shogun Hua, who I think was on a win streak at the time when he fought Poteria, but that's not really anything you want to look at, like... Who cares? He beat Shogun. Like, Shogun's nothing now. And I'm not discrediting him or disrespecting him. It's just at this current point in time, that win doesn't really do anything for him. And I did bet Poteria in that spot by TKO. So I think Poteria does have the chance to use the grappling, slow him down, and probably outwork Ulberg on the floor. However, in the fight against Nikolai Negamediano, he was getting taken down. He was getting grappled. He was getting, you know, controlled from the top position. And, you know, Negamediano is known as a grappler, but most of the time in the cage, he's fighting on the feet and he's striking. And he eventually knocked out Poteria, landed a vicious uppercut hook and then knees inside the clinch and put him away. So we've seen Poteria get finished. We've also seen Ulberg get finished. But when you're comparing the people that he got finished by, you know, I don't really think there's much comparison between Kennedy and Chukwu and um, Ihor Poteria, like I think if Poteria fought in Chukwu, he would get knocked out in that fight as well. So I think when you look at that, that's more of a nod on the side of Ulberg because 
I think that he was dominating that fight up until he got finished. I don't think Poteria really has much of any success against Nchuku unless he's able to land a good straight left hand or right hook. Um, the only thing I notice about Poteria when he strikes, it's a lot of inside and outside low kicks. He loves to start the combinations with the low kick, shoot the straight left hand, and then try to come around the side with the lead right hook. I think that could work against Olberg, who fights hands down, you know, using the lead hand frames, kind of fighting from the outside and using the lateral movement and footwork. But I think he's going to start early, land the low kicks, and I think he's going to jab him up, jab left hook, right high kick. And I think it's going to be a striking showcase for Carlos Ulberg. And I actually think he gets Poteria out of there in the first round. I think Poteria is really no match for Ulberg on the feet. Ulberg is much better technically. He has much better movement. Um, I think the defense is suspect on the side of Ulberg because he's so long and rangy. He's used to being able to pull his head out of the way, slip the strikes, and come back on counters. But I think there is a shot that Poteria uses the grappling, slows him down, and maybe gets him out of there or wins a decision, but I don't really see that happening. I think this plays out on the feet, and in a fight that's going to play out mainly on the feet, you have to give me the better striker, the much better kickboxer, and the much more clean and technical fighter when it plays out on the feet, and that's going to be Carlos Blackjack Ulberg. So give me Carlos Blackjack Ulberg to defeat Ihor Poteria via first round knockout. Now he started at like minus 270. People have already bet Ulberg up to minus 410. Um, I think he's a good parlay piece. I would never play or advocate you to play him on the money line at a minus 410 in a single pick, but in a parlay, it's okay. But I would say look for Carlos Ulberg inside the distance, but don't necessarily only look at that. Look at Carlos Ulberg by KO, TKO, or DQ. I bet him by KO against Nikolai Negamediano. I think I got him at like plus 190 plus 200. So I think you look at that. If, you, if they give you minus 110, plus 120, you know, somewhere around there, I think that's the better play. So I would take Ulberg uh, by KO, TKO, or DQ when the lines, uh, the props do come out on DraftKings or whatever sports book you're using. But the pick is going to be Carlos Ulberg to dance his way to another first round vicious knockout against Ihor Poteria. I really don't think Poteri is much of a match for Ulberg when it comes to the striking game. So yeah, give me Carlos Ulberg to defeat Ihor Poteria via first round knockout. All right, and up next, we move to the featured bout of the evening in the UFC's welterweight division in a fight that I believe is a 50-50 fight between the number 15-ranked Daniel D-Rod Rodriguez and the streaking undefeated UFC welterweight in Ian Machado Gary, the future Ian Machado Gary. When you look at the records, you know, Machado's coming in undefeated, 11 victories, no defeats. Daniel D-Rod Rodriguez, 17 wins, 3 losses. Coming off a loss in his last fight via submission to Neil Magny, but I don't think Neil Magny's a bad loss. You know, he usually beats everybody and then he runs into a grappler like a Gilbert Burns or a Shavkat Rachmanov and eventually gets submitted. You know, a lot of the losses in Neil Magny's career have come via submission, but he got a win via submission over Daniel D. Rod Rodriguez. When I look at this fight, I don't necessarily think we're going to see a ton of grappling, but if we do see anybody resort to the wrestling, I think it's going to be Gary. I think I could see him trying to time Daniel Rodriguez stepping in, shooting a takedown, you know, getting him to the ground, and maybe looking to showcase the thing we don't really see him use, which is his wrestling and jiu-jitsu. Daniel Rodriguez had trouble with wrestling and jiu-jitsu against Magny. He had trouble with the wrestling and takedowns of Kevin Lee um, in one of Lee's last fights in the UFC. I think it was actually Kevin Lee's last fight in the UFC before he went to Eagle FC, and now he's making his way back to the UFC. I'm a big fan of Daniel Rodriguez. I always have been. I like the way that he strikes. He's very economical. He's very technical, and he's an outside fighter. He loves to use the check right hook, the inside left low kick, the right outside low kick, the jab right hook, straight left hand, straight left hand, jab left hand, just 2-1-2, two, 2-1-2, one, two, two, one, two, 
check right hook. He loves to fight on the outside and he's constantly looking for the outside foot. And that's going to be something that's going to be paramount against Ian Gary. But Ian Gary has very good lateral movement. He's got very good left and right movement, good in and out footwork. He's always circling very well. He doesn't really move in a straight line backwards unless you can catch him with a big shot and hurt him, which is something we've seen before. We've seen Ian Gary get hurt. We've seen him get clipped. We've seen him get rocked, you know, in his fights. In his last fight against Song Kanan, he got hit with a big left hook dropped, face-planted, and almost finished, but he was able to survive and eventually get Kanan out of there in the third round. But when he got hurt, he had a little bit of trouble recovering, but he came back and got the knockout. I think the right high kick of Ian Gary is going to be a big weapon against D-Rod. You know, fighting a southpaw, being an orthodox fighter, the right body kick for the orthodox fighter compared to the left body kick for the southpaw and the left high kick for the southpaw compared to the right high kick for the orthodox fighter. Gary's got good high kicks off the lead and rear leg. We've seen that showcased in the fights against Song Kanan, and we saw that showcased in the fight against Gifted Gabe Green. He's got very good high kicks from the lead and rear legs. He can switch stances, but primarily has a lot of success in the orthodox stance. Very, very solid one-twos down the middle, straight punches. Um, One-two, pull two, lead left high kick. One-two, pull two, three, rear right low kick cross lead high kick. He can pair his combinations up together. And if you let Machado Gary get into a flow, if you let Ian Gary get in his flow, he can take a lot of people out. I think I know that a lot of people aren't fully buying into Ian Gary. I know he's got hype obviously, but I think the hardcore fans aren't buying into him yet. And I think that this fight against Daniel Rodriguez is a very, very tough matchup. And considering that the betting line is like minus 260, minus 285 now on the side of Ian Machado Gary and plus 240 on the side of the number 15 ranked Daniel D-Rod Rodriguez. I know some people think that Rodriguez is on a decline considering he lost to Neil Magny. And, you know, he had a very close fight against Lee Jing Leong, but he came out on the end of that with a split decision victory at UFC 2, what was it? UFC 279. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say that Daniel Rodriguez is on a decline, but I do think there are some comparisons to Lee Jing Leong and Ian Gary in the way that they fight. Now, they're not exactly the same, but they like the long straight punches, the one-twos, the big hooks from the outside, and they like to fight on the outside more than fighting on the inside. So I think that even though they're not exactly the same, I think the leech was a decent look for Daniel Rodriguez going up against Ian Gary. And I don't think Ian Gary's really fought anybody that's similar to a Daniel Rodriguez because Rodriguez isn't a guy who's going to put on a whole lot of volume. He isn't a guy that's going to fight on emotion. He's going to fight technical. He's going to look for his openings. He's going to be fighting on the outside, looking to get the outside foot. And he's going to be looking to catch you on counters as you step into range, jab, check, right hook, straight left hand, left body kick, inside and outside, low kicks, constantly circling, looking to get the outside foot. Now, at range, it's going to be Ian Machado's Gary's fight, at least at kicking range. When it's kicking range or just outside of boxing range, that's on the side of Gary. When it's in boxing range or clinch range, I give the advantage to Daniel Rodriguez. I think Rodriguez has the much better boxing. I think he has the much better counter boxing. But the striking at range, including the straight punches of Ian Gary, the high kicks, the kicks to the body. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say round kicks to the body, but the front kicks to the body, the high kicks, and the long one-twos, that's going to be on the side of Gary. Takes fight at takes place at range, Ian Gary's fight to win. Takes place at boxing range, or you know just inside a boxing range, just outside a boxing range. I think that that fight goes to Daniel Rodriguez, which is why I don't like the line. I think at the most, I do think that Ian Gary should be a favorite. But I mean, guys, if if it's minus two eighty five to plus two forty, I would line Ian Gary at like a minus one fifty, minus one seventy at the highest. I think minus two eighty five is unreal. I don't think that that line should be anywhere close to that. 
And I've heard some people say that they think there's a lot of value on Ian Gary at this line at a minus 285. I completely disagree. I think this fight should be lined a lot closer. I think Rodriguez has the much better boxing. I think he has better counterboxing. Um, I think he has better footwork, and I think the footwork of Daniel Rodriguez is going to give Ian Gary some trouble, but you got to look out for the right high kick, the lead high kicks, the one-twos. I mean, he's very fast as Ian Gary. I think Ian Gary's the much faster fighter, but I think Daniel Rodriguez might be the smarter, more technical, and cerebral fighter over a 15-minute fight. Um, in terms of overall skill set, I think Gary's better but I think he has a little bit of trouble with the defensive responsibility on the feet, and I think that's the difference in this fight. I think Rodriguez is better defensively. I think he's better with the outside foot placement and constantly making the opponent turn into him and getting the outside foot to be able to move away from the danger. But even if he does move away and check hook, he's going to have to watch out for the counter straight punches because if you look at the overall stats, Ian Gary is going to have a 74.5-inch reach to a 74-inch reach for D-Rod, but a 2-inch height advantage. So even though it's only a half an inch reach advantage, the height advantage is going to give D-Rod some trouble. We saw him have issues against a long-rangey striker in Li Jing Liang. I think that Ian Gary, even though I don't think he's better than the leech, I think he's more technical and he's better at range than the leech is, but I don't necessarily think I would consider him a better overall fighter, and especially he hasn't had the same level of competition. I think this is a big step up. For Ian Gary, this is a spot where I think he can win if he keeps it at the range that we already talked about, which is just outside of boxing range or in that kicking range, and is able to use the reach to his advantage, you know, use it to the utmost of his advantage throughout the fight, use some grappling, I could see him winning, but I'm going to go with the underdog, I'm going to go with Daniel Rodriguez, I think that he is going to be able to use that check hook against Ian Machado Gary, we saw Machado Gary get caught with a left hook against Song Kanan. Um, even though it's left hook versus right hook, orthodox versus southpaw, I think the lead hook of Daniel Rodriguez is going to give Ian Gary a lot of trouble. I think he's going to stay on the outside, constantly be looking to get that outside foot on the lead foot of Gary. I think he's going to be landing the 2-1-2, the 1-2, the jab hook, and he's going to be moving out of range. I don't necessarily love it from a betting perspective because, like I said, I've touched on this multiple times already in this specific breakdown. I do see areas where Gary can win this fight. I think there's a potential he could get a finish. I think it could be a head kick. I think it could be a body kick. I think it'd be a high kick paired with a pull down 2-3 or like a head kick pull down 1-2, one, 1-2 two, one, two head kick on the same side after he slips the cross. I could see a knockout from Ian Gary. I could see a knockout from Rodriguez with a counter check hook. I think it's a very close fight. I think this is kind of a 55-45 fight where I give the ever- so slight advantage to Daniel Rodriguez based on overall experience. Um, but I'm going to go with D-Rod. I'm going to go with Daniel D-Rod Rodriguez to win via a unanimous decision. I think it's going to be close. I think if there's a knockout and more comes on the side of Ian Gary, but I could see him catching Ian Gary with a check hook and knocking him out. But I'm going to go with D-Rod by decision. So give me the number 15 ranked plus 240 underdog in Daniel D-Rod Rodriguez to defeat Ian Machado Gary, handing him his first professional loss in mixed martial arts via 29-28 unanimous decision. Um, betting side, like I said, I don't love it in terms of a parlay, but I do think that at plus 240, there is value from the betting perspective on Daniel Rodriguez on the money line. All right, up next is a fight I'm pretty excited to talk about in the co-main event of the evening, the light heavyweight division, a battle between top 10 ranked contenders and the number five ranked former title challenger in Anthony Lionheart Smith, who comes into the fight with a record of 36 victories and 17 defeats over 50 professional mixed martial arts fights, going up against the wacky, wavable, inflatable, arm-flailing tube man of the light heavyweight division in Johnny 
Walker, ranked number seven in the division, coming in with a record of 20 victories with seven defeats. This is the don't bet fight of the night. Anthony Smith versus Johnny Walker is the fight you avoid from a betting perspective on all sides, my brother. I would not touch this fight anywhere. I wouldn't take Smith as a, I mean, it's even money. It's even money on the money line, minus 110, minus 110. I think Walker will be a closer to a favorite when we get to Saturday night, but I don't like this fight from a betting perspective on either side because I really don't know what's going to happen. Like, you never really can get a read on Johnny Walker. He loses the fights that we think he's going to win, and he wins the fights that we think he's going to lose. I mean, how many people thought that Corey Anderson was going to knock out Johnny Walker at UFC, what was it, UFC 230? Was it 230 or 217? Who thought that Johnny Walker was going to get knocked out by Corey Anderson? Nobody. Everybody thought it was going to be a highlight reel knockout and a light heavyweight title shot against John Jones for Johnny Walker, and he got knocked out because he played it too you know, cocky, kept his hands down for too long and got finished. Johnny Walker does not have a good chin. If, he, if you hit him on the chin clean, you hurt him, you can put him out. And, I mean, he's been knocked out before. He got knocked out by Jamal Hill, but Jamal Hill's the light heavyweight champion who just recently it got announced that they're looking to target that fight for August between Yuri Prohaska and, or I'm sorry, Yuri Prohaska who vacated the title due to injury and Jamal Hill. I love that fight. I'll talk about that fight on the next podcast. But, you know, Johnny Walker, yeah, he loses to Jamal Hill. Okay, you, you can forgive him there. Um, goes to a decision with, uh, who did he go to a decision with? I'm forgetting it right now. Hold on. Let's pull it up. Uh, Tiago Santos, who's over in the PFL, who just tested positive for PEDs. A few fighters in the PFL have recently tested positive for PEDs. So, you know, it is what it is. But Johnny Walker loses a decision to Tiago Santos in a boring five-round snooze fest. But he's on a win streak. He's got a knockout victory over Paul Craig in his last fight at UFC. What was it, 287? Was it 287 or 283? Uh, 283. UFC 283, he knocks out Paul Craig first round. Paul Craig's grabbing onto his ankle, looking for a takedown as he has Walker's leg in the air. He lands a back fist, drops him, and hurts him up against the cage while Paul Craig's still holding onto his leg, takes him out. That was a fight I picked Johnny Walker in. And then he has that submission victory over Iwan Kutelaba at UFC 279. Prior to that, a loss to Tiago Santos via decision, and then the loss via knockout to Jamal Hill. But Jamal Hill is currently the UFC light heavyweight champion. And then he defeated Ryan Spann with uh, elbows as he was trying to shoot a takedown. He was landing elbows to the side of the head and then some back fists or a hammer fist to the side of the head. But Safe Sayud believed that it was illegal blows that finished that fight. Prior to that, he had a loss to Nikita Krylov, the unanimous decision, lost to Corey Anderson. Before that, got a knockout victory over Misha Serkinov, a knockout over Justin Ledette, a knockout over Khalil Roundtree. Um, when you look at his UFC victories before he lost to Corey Anderson, I don't really think the Misha Serkinov victory is that great. The Justin Ledette victory, I mean, who could expect anything different from a Justin Ledette fight? The Khalil Roundtree victory is his biggest win, I think. You know, that's his biggest win before he went on this little win streak. Then he beats Ryan Spann. Ryan Spann just knocked out Dominic Reyes, who was a former title challenger, arguably beat John Jones at UFC 247, which was the last or one of the last fights to take place before we went into the COVID pandemic. But the victory over Iwan Kutelaba, that was madness. They were going back and forth, scrambles for scrambles, and eventually he catches Kutelaba in a rear naked choke and submits him, where everybody thought that if there was going to be a submission victory, it was going to be on the side of Iwan Kutelaba. Paul Craig fight we just touched on. When you look at Anthony Smith, um, 
Well, actually, before we go to Anthony Smith, let's talk about Walker's record. 20 victories, 7 losses, 19 wins by way of finish, 16 KOs, 3 submissions. On the side of his losses, though, out of his 7 losses, he's been finished 5 times. So he's a kill-or-be-killed fighter. You're either going to get finished or he's going to finish you. Or you're either going to finish him or he's going to finish you. 4 losses by knockout, 1 loss by submission, only 2 losses by decision. But Johnny Walker is not a decision fighter, which coincidentally shows you why that... Tiago Santos' fight sucks so bad. Looking at Anthony Smith, 36 victories, 17 defeats. Um, out of his victories, he's got 33 victories via finish out of 36 wins. Only two victories by way of decision. When you look at his losses, out of 17 losses, he's got 14 losses by finish and only three losses by decision. 14 out of 17 losses come by way of finish. 33 out of 36 victories come by way of finish. So both of these guys are kill or be killed fighters. Both of these guys are going to get in each other's face and try to take each other out. I think that Smith is the much more technical fighter. He has the sharper boxing. He has a very solid jab, a very good left hook, um, and a good right hand. His one-two is very crisp and clean. He was hurting Glover Teixeira the entire time in that fight before he eventually got slowed down, you know, grounded and pounded and TKO'd, but he was getting j he was jabbing him up, jab, jab, one, two, one, one, two, one, two, three, jab, hook, cross. I mean, the boxing of Anthony Smith is clean and crisp. He is a sharp boxer, and I think he has the technical ability and the power to knock out a Johnny Walker who has durability issues and who, who keeps his hands down so low, keeps his chin up in the air. If he can time him with a big straight right hand, if he can time him stepping in with a check left hook, if he can time him with a 3-2 or a 1-2 down the middle, Anthony Smith can knock out Johnny Walker. Johnny Walker also is going to be at a grappling disadvantage. I know his grappling is getting better. He submitted Kute Laba, who would have been thought to get the submission if the fight ended via submission like we touched on. But Johnny Walker's grappling is getting better. His scrambles are getting better. He's he's finding ways to get out of positions. He's But he does sacrifice a lot of positions, and I think if Smith wins a scramble and is able to take the back of Johnny Walker, he can lock him up in a rear naked choke and get him out of there or flatten him out and get a ground and pound TKO. I think this fight is so chalky because Walker is so, like I said, he's a wacky, waveable, inflatable, arm flailing tube man. And there's so much uncertainty, a cloud of uncertainty over the head of Johnny Walker. Like he's a guy where you think he's going to look good. He looks like shit. Or you think he's going to look like shit and he looks good. You really can't get a read on him. He's wacky. He's got probably the bigger knockout upside. I would say that the more technical fighter is Anthony Smith, 100%. But I think the guy who has the more upside of a crazy knockout is Johnny Walker. So are you going to side with the crazy knockout upside of Walker to catch Smith cold in the first or second round? Or are you going to uh, you know, bank on Anthony Smith's technical boxing, his good low kicks like he showcased against Jimmy Crute, his better grappling, and the much more overall well-rounded and polished skill set of an Anthony Smith? I thought Anthony Smith was going to beat Magomed Ankalaev. Um, obviously that pick looked terrible. It's like the fights where I feel like Anthony Smith's going to show up. He doesn't show up and the fights where I think it's going to be a little bit difficult for him. He, he wins with flying colors. Like I picked him against Jimmy Crute and a lot of people called me crazy and he, that fight was great for him. Like, yeah, he got taken down. Yeah. He had some, some adversity for the most part. The jab of Anthony Smith was piecing up Jimmy Crute, the right low kicks until he eventually got a midpoint between the first and second round leg kick TKO victory because Jimmy Crute got that drop for, from the calf kicks. The better kicker in terms of low kicks is Anthony Smith. The better kicker in terms of overall variety in kicks is going to be Johnny Walker. The more powerful explosive striker is going to be Johnny Walker. The more technical fighter overall 
is going to be Anthony Smith, the more technical boxer, the sharper boxer, Anthony Smith, the bigger power, like I said, on the side of Johnny Walker. This is a fight where it's it's pretty much flip a coin because I could see it going either way. Smith has had durability issues. Smith gets hurt in almost every single one of his fights, as does Johnny Walker. There's no way you could be confident on either side, whether you're on the Anthony Smith side, who's fought the better competition, or on the side of Johnny Walker. Um, I'm going to side with Johnny Walker here. I'm a big fan of Anthony Smith. But I'm going to go with Johnny Walker to catch Anthony Smith in round one and knock him out with a crazy like knee up the middle or a crazy flying knee. I think he's going to walk Smith into something and knock him out. I'd like to see Anthony Smith win. I'm a bigger fan of Anthony Smith. I think, like I said, he is the much better fighter. But at this point, you know, being on the desk, you know, and things like that, I think Smith's head might be a little bit out of the game in terms of his actual professional MMA career. And he might be focused more on the analyst work. And I think Johnny Walker is on a streak. I think he's got a lot of confidence here, which could bite him in the ass. But I do think Anthony Smith is going to get caught with a big shot dropped and knocked out in round one. I won't say clean knockout. I'll say TKO. But I am going to go with Johnny Walker here as the even money minus 110. Um, I think if you take Anthony Smith, you take Smith inside the distance or Smith by submission. Because I think if he can employ the grappling, he will be able to flatten out. Johnny Walker, ground and pound him, and eventually lock up a rear naked choke like we've seen him do so many times before. And in, especially in fights where we've seen him be losing, it looks like he was going to be put out, but he was able to find a way to get back in, kind of where he got his nickname in Lionheart. But I am going to go with Johnny Walker to find that KO in round one. But this is a fight where I wouldn't bet on it any side. Um, I'm a bigger fan of Smith, but I am going to side with Walker, who's on the streak. And I feel like he's taking the game a little more serious at this point than Anthony Smith. So give me Johnny Walker to defeat Anthony Lionheart-Smith via first-round knockout. Betting side, though, I don't touch this fight at all. All right, and now we are at the main event of the evening in the heavyweight division between top-ranked heavyweight contenders and the number 12-ranked Gilton Almeida as he tries to crack his way into the top 10 against big knockout puncher, one-hitter-quitter ability in the no-pun-intended biggie boy, Gersinho Rosenstrike. You know... I know that everybody's going to come into this fight and immediately just say that Almeida is going to throw that front kick, shoot a double, take Jairzinho down, mount him, ground and pound him, take his neck, rear naked choke. I would say that's got about a 62% chance of happening in the first round of this main event. But you got to look at it from this perspective. Rosenstrike doesn't even have to hit you that hard to knock you out. That's how hard that he hits. Almeida's been knocked out before. Before he got into the UFC, he's been knocked out cold before. Um, I don't know who it was by, but I do know he's been finished. Actually, it probably will be on this website right here. Let's see. Let's check. 18-2 and two overall for Gilton Almeida. And he was knocked out all the way back in August of 2017 by Tiago Moreira not Tiago Mahenta Santos, in the first round, 16 seconds in. He was knocked out 16 seconds into round one against Tiago Moreira back in August of 2017. He then lost a fight to Bruno Aziz at Shoto, Brazil in January of 2018. Since then, he's on a 13-fight win streak. So he hasn't lost in almost five years in uh, Malhadinho. Jailton Almeida out of his seven out of his 18 victories all 18 come inside the distance 11 subs seven TKOs now looking at that from a betting side you're going to say well I should just bet Jailton Almeida by submission 
No, you should not. Because when you think he's going to get a sub, he might just mount you and then ground and pound you into the mat. He might ground and pound you. It looks like he's going to get a TKO, and then the opponent gives up his back and he locks up a rear naked choke. I mean, he's going to be the much better grappler than Jairzinho, but it's going to be the question of can Jairzinho walk into range, land a check left hook on the chin of Almeida and put him out within the first 30 seconds of the first round, or can he time a shot, switch into southpaw, and land a big left hook in that stance change like he did against Alistair Overeem and put him out. We've seen Jairzinho Rosenstrike get rocked on the feet by guys like Alexander Volkov. We saw him get knocked out by Francis Ngannou, but I think Almeida would get knocked out by Ngannou as well. You know, Francis Ngannou is another story. But we saw him get out-wrestled for almost 25 minutes straight against Alistair Overeem. Now, that fight was back, I believe, in 2019. Let's see. Mm, 2019, yeah. December 2019, he got out-wrestled, out-grappled, taken down, control on the floor for almost the entire fight until he knocked him out four minutes and 56 seconds into the fifth round. With the same shot he dropped Chris Dawkins within his last fight, where he landed that switch stance left hook as he switched to southpaw and banged him right on the chin. It's the same exact shot that he caught Alistair Overeem with. But in his last few fights, he's lost to Alexander Volkov via TKO in the first round. A unanimous decision loss to Curtis Blades, where he got, again, taken down, out-wrestled. But they kind of fought on the feet for a majority of it. You know... Curtis Blades kind of outstruck Rosenstrike for the majority of the fight, if I remember correctly. I didn't watch that fight on tape, so forgive me if I'm remembering the fight wrong. But I believe that was more of a striking battle and less of a wrestling approach for Curtis Blades. Even though he did get hurt at one point with a big counter from Rosenstrike, I mean, you're going to expect that. And then his last fight knocked out Chris Dawkins in the first round, 23 seconds in. Knocked out Augusto Sakai at the end of the first round. Knocked out Andre Arlovsky 29 seconds into round one. Knocked out Allen Crowder nine seconds into round one. Knocked out Junior Albita, Albini 54 seconds into the second round. I mean, the guy's got a 10-second knockout against Rob McCarthy in uh, Team Yavel Fearless December of 2018. He's got so many quick finishes. I mean, knockouts in 23 seconds, uh, 20 seconds, even though that was the loss to Francis Ngannou. I mean, you still got to look at it. 29 seconds, 9 seconds, 10 seconds. 54 seconds and 23 seconds. I mean, the guy can put you out literally within the first 30 seconds. It could be the first shot that Biggie Boy lands that he cracks Jelton Almeida on the chin and puts him out. We saw him get cracked with a big shot against uh, Shamil Abdurahimov in his last fight. He got cracked with a big shot on the feet, got wobbled a little bit, but was able to eventually land that front kick to the body. He likes to land that long teep kick and then use the pullback and retraction to shoot in on your hips and get a double leg. He'll pick your ankle, double leg, take you down, pick you up, change direction in a body lock, change direction in the double leg, drag you one way, slam you back the other way. He's very good at passing guard. He's good at controlling the wrist with the Dagestani handcuff, allowing you to give up your back, pass to mount, take the back, get the hooks in, ground and pound you. Very solid ground and pound from the mount. Elbows, punches, hammer fists. I mean, he will hammer fist your face into the mat like he did against Danilo Marquez in the light heavyweight division. But that's also something you got to take into consideration. This guy is in uh, Almeida is coming up from the light heavyweight division, taking on a true heavyweight with true heavyweight knockout power in Rosenstrike. This is the first fighter in the heavyweight division that Almeida's fought that has true knockout, one-punch knockout power, where he could literally get caught in the first round. But when it comes to a pick, 
I'm going to go with Almeida. I think that the wrestling inefficiencies, the grappling inefficiencies of Rosenstrike are going to give him some trouble. But I think he's probably working on a lot of knees to time Almeida stepping into range to shoot the takedowns, a lot of uppercuts. I think we'll see Rosenstrike try to land a big uppercut right in the first 10 seconds of the fight, a big knee, and maybe he catches Almeida and puts him out. I would not be surprised if Jerzinho catches Almeida in the first round and knocks him out. I would not because of the power that Biggie Boy has. But we've seen the grappling inefficiencies, and I think the writing's on the wall. Almeida's going to land that front kick. We're going to see Rosenstrike try to switch stance, land the big hook. Almeida's going to level change off the pressure of Rosenstrike, take him down, get in the top position, eventually work him out, ground and pound. Rosenstrike's going to give up his back, and he's going to submit him in the first round. So I'm going to take Jailton Almeida to defeat Jerzinho Rosenstrike and move into the top 10 via first-round rear naked choke submission. I think it's either a first-round sub for Almeida or a first-round knockout for Rosenstrike. I could see it getting into the second round, but I don't see it going past 10 minutes. I don't think it gets into the third, the fourth, or the fifth. Maybe it will. You know, you never know. But I think it ends within the first 10 minutes, either round one or round two. But I do think Almeida's grappling is going to be too much. I think he's going to be too fast for Rosenstrike. But you do have to worry about the explosiveness of Rosenstrike and the huge one-punch power that he does have. But I just don't think he lands it. So give me Jailton Almeida to defeat Jerzinho Biggie Boy Rosenstrike via first-round rear naked choke submission in the main event of UFC on ABC. All right, that's going to be it for my UFC on ABC, Almeida versus Rosenstrike or Rosenstrike versus Almeida preview predictions and breakdown. This podcast is going to be available anywhere you get your audio podcasts. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, Breaker, Stitcher, and many more. The podcast will be edited and uploaded to my YouTube channel, which is the same name as the podcast at the Touch Em Up Podcast. You can support the podcast via PayPal. I'll leave the, the link in the description. And you can also leave a review for this podcast anywhere you can, more importantly, Apple Podcasts, to tell everybody why the Touch Em Up podcast is the best MMA prediction and breakdown podcast on the internet. I'm your host, Double M, and I'm out. Enjoy the fights this weekend.